Welcome, everybody. Thank you for again inviting us into your homes. We are continuing on in our series, The Good and Beautiful Life. And this is a series about the Beatitudes because we're thinking that the word blessed in the Beatitudes is really describing a good and beautiful life. At one time, I thought about calling this the good life, how to live the good life. But the word good in the English language doesn't really describe fully what it means to be blessed. Because when we use our word good in English, it could mean that we're referring to someone who is good morally, or it could mean that we are talking about someone who is beautiful. So we'd say that's a very good person. We might be referring to the fact that they are morally, they're upright, they're an outstanding citizen, so to speak. But we could also say that's a very good picture. And what we mean by that is that it's beautiful. And so in English, the word good can mean both morally good or it can mean beautiful. Now, in the Greek language, the language that the New Testament was written in, uh, there were different words to describe morally good and good aesthetically or beautiful. And the word blessed captures both ideas of our English word good, morally and beautiful. So when it talks about the blessed life, it's really talking about living a good and beautiful life. You see, some people can be morally good, but not very beautiful, not attractive. And perhaps you've known someone like that. They, they were good. They, they lived a good life. But the kind of life they lived or the way they lived their life isn't really attractive, and we wouldn't really call it a, a beautiful life. Some people can be quite harsh in the morality or in the way they live. And we don't see that in the life of Jesus, who was both good morally and beautiful as in attractive. So we have here in the Beatitudes this description of how we can live both a good and beautiful life. And uh, this is captured, of course, by this word blessed. And, and today we're going to look at the Beatitude that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. So we might say it another way. We might say, good and beautiful are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they should be filled. Or we might say, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness live a good and beautiful life. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. So righteousness is about being right with God. It, now, it's more of a legal word than a religious word. It means to be lined up. It means to... Uh, come into line with God's purposes, God's plans, God's, God's way of living, God's way of behaving. To cooperate with his purposes in the world is what it means to live a righteous life. We are to hunger and thirst to live this life that's lined up with God's purposes, God's plans, God's intent for the world. Now, hunger and thirst in, in the language of the New Testament are present part of participles, which means they, um, they're continuous action. It's not uh, hungry once or thirsty once, but continue to be hungry, continue to be thirsty for righteousness. This passage or this, this verse really reminds us, it, it, it hints back to the Old Testament wilderness wanderings of Israel. Remember how Israel left Egypt and, and wandered through the wilderness before they got to the promised land, and they hungered, and God provided manna. 
and they thirsted, and God provided water for, from the rock. Well, this, this hungering and thirsting was uh, provided by God who fed them and gave them water to drink. And so we have this idea that uh, uh, Israel was learning to have its hunger filled by God and God alone and have its thirst filled by God and God alone. So there's a, there's a spiritual component and a physical component to this hungering and thirsting in the lessons that Israel was, was being taught through the wilderness wanderings. And so this, this hungering and thirsting has a history in the Old Testament of how Israel had this hunger and thirst, and, and, and God was trying to teach them that he's the only one that can truly satisfy both their physical needs and their spiritual needs. Uh, we need all to learn to trust in God. We need all to learn to hunger and thirst and crave for what only he can satisfy. Now, the hunger and thirsting that it's being talked about here in, in the, the New Testament or or perhaps even in the first century, is perhaps different from hungering and thirsting today. Because when I'm hungry, I just go to the fridge. When I'm thirsty, I just turn on the tap. I don't know that I really understand what it truly means to be hungry or what it truly means to be thirsty. Of course, in the first century, when the New Testament was written, they couldn't go to the fridge. They couldn't go turn on a tap. Uh, in an arid country, uh, if they went for a long walk, boy, you'd better take water with you or you would be uh, in big trouble because of the heat and the dryness of the climate. And so, and uh, people back in the first century, they only, I understand they only ate meat maybe once a week, and uh, uh, food was pretty scarce. And uh, they knew what hunger and thirst was all about. And so when it's talking about hunger and thirsting, it's not just a mild hunger, it's really talking about those who are craving food and craving drink are blessed, for they will be filled now, it's not simply then about being morally good. It's about being attractive. It's about being appealing. It's about being winsome. Uh, and, and righteousness isn't really simply concerned about our own right behavior, but rather it's concerned about making things right in the world. It's about our concern for others. We crave righteousness when we see injustice and decide to do something about it. We crave righteousness when we say inequality and respond lovingly. So righteousness isn't simply about um, me looking after how I live, but it's concerned about looking how, at how others are living and be concerned about that they are um, living the best life they can without prejudice and injustice and, and uh, that there's equality in the world. You see, we crave righteousness when we want to put things right, because this is what God is about, and this is what God is about doing in the world. He is in the world endeavoring to make things right, endeavoring, endeavoring to, to uh, uh, help people find the right way to live. And in, in, in fact, of all of creation, uh, from the fall all the way to uh, the coming fullness of the kingdom of God. God has been at work making things right, restoring, reclaiming, endeavoring to uh, uh, support the world and uphold the world and in fact actually bring the world around to where it's, it's, it finds its perfection and completion in him. And as partners in righteousness making, so we are called as his children to be involved in that very same things, to be concerned, to crave, to desire 
his righteousness in the world. In fact, it's described in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So a righteous person is not just keeping their own act together, so to speak, but is involved in helping others. I think that that desire for righteousness or that desire to see things put right or that desire for, or we might say fair play, uh, is, is uh, inborn in childhood from our youngest days. I, the other day I was working in my backyard and I was listening to the neighbor children play. And, you know, they're two, three, four, five years old and they're, they're talking to one and they're playing games. And there was a lot of talk about fairness and a lot of talking about it's my turn and, and, and all of that, that idea. And, and you can, I just realized again in children how they were just, uh, they're born with this understanding that, that things need to be fair, things need to be just, things need to be set right. And, and I think as, as we grow up, sometimes we, we become so self-concerned about our lives that we forget that this, this desire of God to, at work in the world is to bring about fairness, to bring about equality, to bring about righteousness, and that we too are to be involved in that. In fact, in Matthew 6, as Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about acts of righteousness. And when he talks about acts of righteousness, he's not talking about moral purity. He's not talking about what people don't do. He's talking about giving. He says, when you do your acts of righteousness before men, he's talking about giving money or giving things to people. He says, do it so that uh, you're not uh, known for it, so that people don't see it, but rather do it from the heart. In other words, acts of righteousness are when we try to resolve or solve the inequalities of the world around us. And uh, that's participating in what God is intending to do in the world. So God is involved today in the world in making the world right again. And this is the biblical grand story from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. The reason craving righteousness leads to the good and beautiful life is that those who do crave it, it says, will be filled. Will be filled. Filled with what? Well, filled with righteousness. When we crave righteousness, when we crave um, that things would be made right, that injustices would be made right, that, that people would come to know God, that people would have the sin and the destruction of their lives resolved through hope and help and, and the love of Jesus, uh, we ourselves are filled with righteousness. So when we crave that the world would be made right, something happens within us by a work of the Holy Spirit. We become filled, and the word filled here means satisfied, uh, like after a great meal. I'm already looking forward to Easter dinner, that, that dinner we have together and we sit around with the family and, and it's a special meal and we eat and, and often have second, second helpings, which usually doesn't happen uh, except for these special celebratory meals. And at the end of the meal, that feeling of satisfaction, not only because of the food, but because of the company and the conversation that we've had, that feeling of satisfaction, that feeling of everything is, is right, uh, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that those who crave hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. They'll be satisfied. There's something that happens. And, and again, in, in, in each of these Beatitudes, we have this idea 
that character development or character transformation leads to a good and beautiful life. In other words, a good and beautiful life doesn't become, come because of uh, possessions or a job or, or any of the external circumstances of our life. A good and beautiful life comes because of character development. This, this hungering and thirsting after righteousness produces in us this being satisfied and filled with righteousness, being lined up with God's purposes for our life and in the world around us. Well, we might ask, what does a person look like when he or she is filled with righteousness? Well, like Jesus. All the Beatitudes, in fact, describe Jesus, just like the fruit of the Spirit is a description of Jesus' character. You ever thought of that? Uh, Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. All of those characteristics really describe the, the life of Jesus. And in the same way, each of the Beatitudes describe the character of Jesus, for he is poor in spirit. He mourns. He is meek. He hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He's merciful. He's pure in heart. He's a peacemaker. And he was persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so we see that when we allow these characteristics, these traits to be formed in us by the Holy Spirit, we become more like Jesus as he demonstrated these very characteristics in his life. Of course, the enemy of our souls, the devil, wants to distract us from hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He wants to distract us with all the cravings of this world that can't really satisfy, that can't really fill us. In fact, they leave us empty and hollow inside. Now, the cravings of this world are louder than perhaps the cravings for hunger and thirsting for righteousness. They, they appear more urgent at times than a craving for uh, righteousness and and uh, uh, injustices to be resolved and people come to know Jesus and all these things that line up with God's purposes in the world. And, and certainly the cravings that the enemy of our soul wants us to go after and, and wants to, to seek are more popular than a craving, a hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but they cannot fill us. And the question that, that we need to ask ourselves as, as we look at this beatitude is, what does my soul crave? What do I think about? What do I long for? What am I hungering and thirsting for? And uh, I, this is convicting because there are so many um, different things that come across our path that we look at and we go, oh, wouldn't that be good to have that? Or wouldn't that be nice to have this thing over here? And here this text is telling us that in order to truly be filled, in order to truly be satisfied, our primary craving, our primary desire has to be this hunger and thirst for righteousness, the right way of living, God's purposes fulfilled in our world. Well, I pray that would be an increasing desire in my life and in your life, that we would truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that because of that, we would be filled. This is the way to the good and beautiful life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us because, Lord, in, in this world, there are so many things that appeal to us that are vying for our attention. 
And we know the enemy of our souls uh, puts all kinds of things along our path that would uh, draw our attention away from you and your plan and your purposes in this world. We thank you, Father, for your great plan in this world to bring about your purpose of harmony and restoration in the kingdom of God. We thank you that you've called us to be participants in that and that we too can hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we too can be involved in, in solving the, the, uh, the problems that we see in injustice and even in individual lives as we talk about Jesus to people individually and, and lead them to come to know you as Lord and Savior. We thank you that you've called us to participate in your great plan of reclaiming this world and bringing it right. And we look forward to the day when you will truly make it all right. So Lord, we, we pray that you would increase this hungering and this thirsting in our lives and that we would learn to trust fully completely and wholly in you, and then in, do, in so doing, you would fill us with your righteousness. I pray, Lord, that we would not simply be concerned about being morally good, but we would also be concerned about being attractive, appealing to those who see us, look at our lives, and see how we live. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship, and I'll come back with concluding comment. So from the Beatitudes, we have learned that there are advantages to being at the end of your rope. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because it's there that we find God. We've learned that those who mourn get to know the grace of God. Blessed are those who mourn. And we've learned that there are some healthy cravings that can truly satisfy us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I believe that we need more attractive Christians. <laughs> I don't mean better-looking Christians, but more winsome. I think that's an old word that perhaps describe what I'm talking about. Winsome Christians, people whose righteousness is appealing, people whose lifestyles, whose character, whose, whose way of living is attractive to others. That's what I want to hunger and thirst for. That's what I want to crave. I, I, I want to see us live lives that are not only morally good, not only line up with God's plans, God's purposes, but are attractive, uh, just like Jesus in his way of living and his way of responding to the culture and the people around him was not only good, it was beautiful. That's what I desire for myself. That's what I desire for my family. That's what I desire for us as a church that we would live a good and beautiful life so that when people see us, they'd be attracted to Jesus. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, we're using as our doxology. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.